Hello, and welcome to Season 5 of the LuxCast, where we explore the intersections of Christian faith, culture, and our lives. My name is Megan Rice, Communications Coordinator at Western Theological Seminary. The theme of this season is public theology, as we engage in dialogue about topics that affect both the church and society. Today's guest is speaker, writer, and activist Lisa Sharon Harper. Lisa is the Chief Church Engagement Officer at Sojourners and has written extensively on shalom and governance, immigration reform, healthcare reform, poverty, racial and gender justice, climate change, and transformational civic engagement. C.J. Kingdom Greer sat down with her to discuss her views on patriarchy, reparations, and orthodoxy. So I want to just start off with a quote in one of your uh, Twitter posts, oh. uh, which was, is, is so powerful, but you say, people ask what patriarchy is, and you say, think Jim Crow and apply it to women, all women. I'll let you go from there. Okay. <laughs> so I appreciate that because it's funny because interestingly, that became a controversial statement. Very much so. It really became a controversial statement. Especially nowadays because what happens is you actually hear white women say that and they don't actually put in the all women and what they, what they mean is that they have had the same level of subjugation as people of African descent and that is offensive. Right, so that's what people kind of and black folk, black women responded to that. I was like, wait a minute now, wait, I'm a black woman, mm -hmm. and and so I, I explained that what I, I was it was a very very clear, um, uh, succinct statement that was specifically about the systemic nature right. of patriarchy. That it's not about uh, hating women. It's not even just about an individual's act against women. It's about the systems, the structures, the mores, the theologies that undergird patriarchal systems. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I talked about Jim Crow. Jim Crow is fundamentally not about individual evil against black people. Jim Crow was fundamentally a web of laws and policies and mores um, that, that created a cage for people of African descent mm -hmm. to live to live within. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so you say where patriarchy walks, racism is always close at hand. Yeah. That was so powerful to me. Mm -hmm. I, I hear as a man, yeah. that was still so powerful to yeah. me. Can you say a little bit more? So the reason why I wrote that is because the reality is patriarchy in other words, white patriarchy, mm. it exists in order to protect the power of white men, white men. And so what we saw, I think the clearest example of patriarchy at work in relationship to, uh, to the racial subjugation is in the antebellum South and the Jim Crow South. Because what you see there is you see that in this space where slavery was the norm, black chattel slavery, where they saw people of African descent, they chose to see people of African descent according to the law as non-human beings. In that same system, white women also had no power. Mm. They, they literally, and oftentimes in order to get power, they would be even more brutal to people of African descent. So patriarchy is about lifting up and protecting white male, male power. White women 
also lose in that, um, in that equation. But in order to gain any sense of power, usually they become complicit allies with white patriarchy mm. in order to find some level of power in that patriarchal system. And so, you know, it, both in during Jim Crow and also during antebellum slavery, white women became complicit with white patriarchy. The ones who had the worst, or it's, it's, it's hard, you, you can't measure oppression, and I don't like sure. to do that. But what I would say is where you have more overlapping intersections than anywhere else is in the case of black women, women of African descent. Because not only were we enslaved, not only were we whipped just like black men, not only did we have feet, feet chopped off when we tried to run for our freedom, but we also had to endure the, the subjugation of rape, systematic rape um, put in place on breeding farms, farms that literally bred money using our bodies to do so. Also rape, rape is often used as an act of war and that is a way for, for white patriarchal systems to, to break the spirit mm -hmm. of, a, of a people group. They will do that by breaking the spirit of the women. Mm -hmm. And so patriarchy and, uh, and racism always always walk hand in hand. In any civilization where there is colonization, you will see these two. They come as twin uh, uh, modes of operation that both secure the power of white men. Wow. So now let's talk about reparations. Uh, so you say uh, on Twitter, reparations is not about a check Reparations is not about punishment. Reparations is not about individual wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. Well, what is it? Well, that's a great question. Well, I, I actually get my understanding of reparations directly from scripture. It, mm. is, it is fundamentally and first a biblical concept. Mm. It's something that for me was actually shared with me by one of my mentors, um, Brian Bla Brightcloud, mm -hmm. a Native American pastor out of Church on the Way mm. in, in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He shared with me 2 Samuel 21. And in this verse, what you see in this passage, what you see is you see David, he's, he's a new king, or he's been, he's been king for a little bit, but he is, it, you know, he hasn't had enough time to actually have done a, a whole lot himself. So there is a famine in the land and he can't figure out what's, why is this famine in the land? So he's like, God, what, why is there a famine in the land? What's going on, God? And then there's like a knock at the door. Knock, knock, knock. It's the Gibeonites. And so the Gibeonites actually, they say, uh, hello, Mr. David. Um, when Saul was king, he killed all of our people and he wasn't supposed to. And David goes, aha, that's why there's a, there's a famine in the land. And this is what he does. Mm -hmm. He recognizes that by doing that, by, by massacring the people, what Saul failed to do was to recognize the image of God in them. Mm. What Saul failed to do was to recognize the call and the capacity of the Gibeonites to exercise dominion on land. God did not call Saul to massacre all the people, and yet he did. And so what David recognized was that what is fundamentally needed is the repair of the relationship is the repair of the relationship. In other words, the, the Hebrews' relationship with the Gibeonites in relationship to God. Because God loves the Gibeonites as much as God loves the Hebrews. And God has a call 
and a purpose for the Gibeonites as much as God has a call and a purpose for the Hebrews. Mm -hmm. God made the Gibeonites. God made them with a call to exercise dominion in the world. And David understood that. And so what David did, he did a profound thing in that moment. He could have called his council together and said, okay, guys, well, how do we, how do we right this wrong? But he didn't do that. He did something that righted the relationship. Mm. He said, what do you say we shall do for you? How will you be made well? Wow. What do you say it will take for you to be made well? Right, you say wow, and I know the reason. The reason is because by doing that, he places the power in their hands. That's right. He recognizes their call to exercise dominion over him. Yes. That's kind of deep. That's agency. That's agency. And it's what's taken away when there's massacre. It's what's taken away when there's slavery. It's what's taken away when one group dominates the other. Mm. And so what he does is he makes the relationship right by saying, what do you say we shall do to make things well for you? And what do they say? Now, this is the thing. It's costly. Repair is costly. Now, they could have said, we want you to kill all of your people. That would be an eye for an eye. Mm -hmm. But they did not say that. Instead, what they said is, we want all the firstborn of the generals that, that carried out the commands of Saul. Now, that's a high cost. That's death. And you know, not that I'm an advocate for death or even for that strategy, but the re I think the principle that we can glean from that is that the, it will be costly. Mm -hmm. It will cost those who dominated in order to make things well. And David did not blink. He did not question. He did not say, uh, well, let me go back to my council and see if we can do this. Mm -hmm. He said, okay. And he gave them the heads of all of the firstborn, of all of the generals. Now, some people on that Twitter that thread said, uh, D, are you recommending that? No, of course I'm not. Of course not. But what I am saying is that those who have been dominated know what it will take to be made well. And if you really care about the relationship, if the relationship is supreme, and if you understand that you have done wrong according to God, in the sight of God, then you will do what it takes to make things right between you and God. And that requires making things right between you and the other. That's right. And that's what David did. And I think that the clincher here is how God responds to it. Mm. Because God could have responded and said, you know, God could have actually smote the Gibeonites for making such a big claim. God could have come down and said, I'm intervening. No, you don't have to do that, David. But instead what God did was God restored the land. That's what God did in response to David making the relationship right again. God restored the land. End of story. So when we talk about reparation in the United States, the question for us is, how has white patriarchy, how has that broken relationship, distorted relationship, twisted the right relationship that God created us to have as equals, as people, people groups created 
equally to exercise dominion in the world, to exercise stewardship of the world, to exercise agency of the world. So the question of rep reparation is the question of what will it take to repair the relationship mm -hmm. between people of European descent and those who are Native American, mm. right? Yeah. Who's, who, who God established on this land mm. for thousands of years before the first European got here. Mm -hmm. What will it take for people of European descent, particularly the leaders, and this is also not individual, it's government, it's government, because it's government that, it, that does the domination, right? So David wasn't just anybody. David was the king right. of a government who did an act, a, enacted a policy as the leader of that government, right? So what would it look like for the American government to do right by, to, 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 to repair the relationship with people of African descent who were originally captives of war and then bred into being in order to uphold a capitalist society through no cost labor for generations. What would it take? And I, I don't have the answer to that. Sure. And that's not for me to decide, it's not for you to decide. Correct. It is for our people to decide. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the process, I would recommend a process that engages the entire African-American community, the, the, the 500 nations of Native Americans in a council that they choose that, that could do the discerning for the people, and a council that we choose as an African-American people that can do the discerning work for the people, and people we trust, mm -hmm. people who understand, and people who also represent the community, mm -hmm. not those who have been picked and chosen by empire mm -hmm. to represent the community. That's important. That is very important. And it's not about a check. Mm -hmm. Yes, it will take checks. Mm -hmm. Yes, it will take money. But it's not about sending a check to a family. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Whatever that council comes up with is what we will say, what we will do. But it's ultimately about how do we repair what the constructs of human hierarchy mm -hmm. have broken in the world. You know, uh, we find ourselves here at the seminary of the uh, longest continuous running Protestant denomination in the country. Our charter uh, dates back before the Constitution. Mm -hmm. You talk about decentering whiteness mm -hmm. in white evangelicalism, and you mention uh, some people who we, uh, who we hold beloved. You mentioned Luther and Calvin as the center of orthodoxy. Yeah. Let's go there. I'm glad that you asked that question because I think that we are in a moment in the United States and globally where we are recognizing the ways that white patriarchy and the imagination, mm. to quote Willie Jennings, the imagination of white men has actually crafted and formed and created the boundaries of how we imagine Christianity. Yes. Right? Yes. So we think of our faith according to the imagination of white men. We think of our faith as being something that was crafted in Europe, mm. that actually sprung from Europe, but it didn't. So the question, the question of where the center of our 
orthodoxy should lie? Should it be, should it live in Europe? Should it live in the social location of empire? Or should it live in the social location of the oppressed, of brown, colonized people? And more specifically, should it live in the location where they actually were? You know, to this day, there are Palestinians who have been Christians since the time of Jesus. I want to know what they say. Mm. I think that Luther and Calvin were wrestling with a faith that sprung from brown colonized people in their context. And in their context in Europe, they actually, they themselves were not necessarily coming from empire, although maybe you could argue Luther was. He was within the Catholic Church and broke off from them, right? Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that they were coming from empires. They were coming from that, that space, a space that had absolutely no relationship to the people in this text, mm -hmm. none. Mm -hmm. So they were wrestling over a text that did not come from them and in a context, a specific context. And so the things that the, I believe that the, the truths that they came to were good for their context. Mm -hmm were maybe even true for their context. But can we say that they are the truth mm. for all contexts? Mm. That they are the heart of the entire faith? Mm. No. Mm. Because the faith did not spring from them. They are not God. Mm. They are not Jesus. They were men of flesh in a particular context, wrestling with a text that was not from their people, trying to apply it to their context. And they, they did some good and they did some evil. And the reality is, is that what they spoke into the world, it birthed very good things. And what they spoke into the world did not hold their nations back from slavery, from investing in the slave trade, it did not hold their nations back from colonizing other nations or from profiting off of the colonization of other nations. And so that you cannot say then that their words, their words should be the center of a faith that was born from colonized people. That was an aha that I, it's not only mine, but I just want to say this, that, this question is the question for the next 500 years. That's right. That's right. The Reformation got us this far. And for the next 500 years, what we need to do is we need to decolonize Jesus. Mm. I want to say that there is also good news for men of European descent, men who have fashioned themselves as white, but they are actually Swedish, German, English, um, they are different ethnic groups, Irish from all over the European map. I think that the principal sin of people of European descent when they first came was to war with God for supremacy. And the reason I say that is because it was through their laws that they made declarations about 
who was called to exercise dominion on this land. That it was through their policies, their theologies, their mores, that they set up constructs of human hierarchy that are counter to the word we see on the very first page of the Bible. That, that word that says to us that all humanity is created to exercise dominion in the world. Mm -hmm. If you are made in the image of God, then you are called to exercise dominion in the world. So when you create the three-fifths compromise and you declare that some people who are created in the image of God on the continent of Africa and called to exercise dominion, and you say by law that they are now only three-fifths of a human being, you are at war with God for supremacy. Mm. And when three years later, when you declare that only people, white men, of, uh, who are free, can become naturalized citizens in the United States, then you are declaring war against God for supremacy. And I think then that then what you do is you set yourself up as a mini-God, a little g-God. And it makes it so that you feel like you have to be perfect. You have to be in control. And that puts more stress than you were created for on you. Yes. You're not supposed to have control over all things and everybody. You don't, you don't have the call to define all things, to control all things, to confine all people. You don't have that call from God. And yet you've done that. You have thought of yourself in that way. So here's the good news to people of European descent. You can lay down your arms against God. You can rejoin the community of the rest of creation, all of us. Mm. We're standing in a circle. Mm -hmm. We're singing. We're having a good time down here. Come on down. Join the party. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're welcome here. Mm. We forgive you. Uh, the last thing I want to say to the people watching, what sprung from me, mm -hmm. sprung in me as you were, uh, so eloquently sharing uh, the stories of these questions um, is to every single person who uh, is oppressed, to every single person who is downtrodden, to every single person who does not feel that they have agency. Mm -hmm. I want them to know that they do have a light in them. Oh yeah. And this little light of mine, ah! I'm gonna let it shine. Yes. This little light of mine, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna let it shine. shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>